0: This morning our scripture lesson comes from Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it isn't an obligation to ourselves to live our lives on the basis of selfishness. If you live on the basis of selfishness, you are going to die. But if you put to death the actions of the body with the spirit, you will live. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back into fear, but you received a spirit that shows that you are adopted as God's children. With the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The same Spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. If we really suffer with him, so that we can also be glorified with him. This is the word of God for you and all of us, the people of God. Thanks peace to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you pour out your spirit. For the hearing and the receiving and the understanding of the scriptures. Pray that you open our eyes and our ears and hearts this day. To see what it is that your grace is doing for the work of redemption in the world. I pray, oh God, that my meditation might be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before I get too far along, I'll say that today is a, a number of things that kind of come together all at once and makes for a, a unique opportunity. As Joan said, it is indeed Trinity Sunday. Uh, so we'll get a little bit of the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, it's also Aldersgate Sunday in the the Methodist tradition. Uh, I don't know if Nazarenes celebrate. Okay, Alder, Aldersgate Sunday. It's a you know, uniquely Methodist thing uh, as part of our tradition, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, John Wesley had a formative moment uh, by God's spirit some time back, and uh, so so we'll get there. It's Aldersgate Sunday, and it's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, So I know that is on y'all's mind and on the minds of our neighbors, and so uh, all three of these are woven uh, together. I just wanted you to know that kind of all of that's in the air. My childhood friend, uh, not a classmate, because she lived in a different county uh, than my family did. Her name was Emily, and Emily was a church friend, I I think, that... uh, our parents had us at church from the time that we were infants and, and grew up together. Every time that the church was open, that was that was my family. They were there for either worship or a fellowship meal or for meetings. Uh, as we got older, our parents went on Emmaus walks together. Uh, and the the discipleship meetings that uh, would ensue in the, the months and the years after those Emmaus walks. On Saturday evenings, uh, Emily and I would be carted all the way around and I was delighted to know, that was my first question, uh, for a church engagement, were Emily and her parents going to be there? And if the answer was in the affirmative, I was more than happy to go. If my parents said, no, the Jamisons are traveling or out of town, I was not so compliant. Emily and I both uh, were commuter families, and so we had this unique uh, identity not going to school with anyone that we were in youth group with Uh, we went to different schools and so we had this the shared bond everything that could possibly be done between kids and middle schoolers and teenagers uh, emily and i shared those those moments of life together and then one day we found out that uh, emily's parents told her that she was adopted and my parents uh, about the same time uh, told me that she was adopted, and I don't know if they thought it was going to be a big deal or not, and so it was kind of like my parents sat me down as if they were about to break some significant news to me, and they told me she was adopted, and it was like, okay, uh, thanks. Why does this, does this matter? Um, and looking back over all of those years, I said, this, this is almost of no consequence. Danny and Brenda have been her parents for as long as I've known this family well, over a decade, a decade and a half probably. Everything that Brenda and Danny had, their love and their relationships and their home, everything that they had was was Emily's as an only child. There was never a moment, looking back, that I could possibly think that there was a gap between their parenting and their identity as her parent's and her as their adopted daughter. I can't say that there was any difference between the love that her parents had for her and the love that my parents had for me. I always thought about that, that thinking about those whose families have been blessed by adoption. My friends, Chris and Erica, that I was ordained alongside. For some time, they thought that it was not possible to have kids. And so they got the news uh, late in the year that there was a baby boy that was going to be their son. Their hearts were just blown open by the possibility of being parents and loving this little boy. They beat me and Keely uh, to being new parents. And I was just absolutely delighted to see the love being poured out for a child that came into their life. When I think about Miriam's Promise, the United Methodist Adoption Agency that works uh, through our conference, your giving goes in a, in a small way through apportionments to support this ministry. The number of families who are overflowing with love and are willing And ready to bring children in to their home to care for them. These very tangible ways that families are being created, I think, is what is at the heart of our reading in Romans this morning. That adoption is a frame for what God's reign looks like. That by God's spirit, we are all, all of us are brought into that relationship, like Joan said With God, the everlasting parent. We have our parents. We have our siblings. And we have God, the Father, that has brought us into relationships so that we always have an identity. That we are beloved. That we are a child of God. It's the the movement of the Spirit that leads us to that recognition. This is where we get a little bit of uh, John Wesley's preaching. I'm not one often. Y'all know this. Not to quote Wesley's sermons uh, at any considerable length. They're old English, not the easiest things to hear, but I think they're fitting this day. May 24th of 1738, uh, John Wesley is in London, and he's going to, uh, to a meeting in the middle of the week. Uh, maybe it's a Wednesday night meal and Bible study and worship afterwards. And so as he's walking down Aldersgate Street... In London, he gets close to the chapel where service was. And he hears, I think he's standing outside on the sidewalk, and maybe he hears through open windows Martin Luther, like Reformation Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. I don't even recommend going to read Luther's preface to Romans because it's not as heartwarming as you might think it would be. I'll spare you. But for whatever reason, Wesley is standing out on the sidewalk and he hears the preface that Luther wrote. And his heart is strangely warm. This is where we get this language. On the evening of the 24th of May, Wesley writes in his journal this. He went unvery willingly to a society, a small group in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans about a quarter to nine. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Jesus Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation and assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. In our tradition, this is the moment in which people say that Wesley is, is fully converted, that the Spirit of God has broken in upon his soul and transformed him. The historians say that there's never another time in all of Wesley's writings that he mentions this night again. What he does mention is that this inbreaking of God's Spirit, this this... Cataclysmic moment actually pushed him into a depression weeks and months later because it couldn't be replicated. We lift up this inbreaking of the spirit, this this conversion, this converting moment. But because he never had it a second time, he wondered whether the spirit was still coming alongside him in ministry. Now that he does write about in his journals. So I think it's a helpful thing to to raise up the the doubt and the questioning that even Father Wesley holds on to. As he's preaching on our text from Romans this morning from the 8th chapter, he says that it's often that we are bound in uh, by the spirit of bondage that we're tied up in sin and death and evil and we go on repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning again. And maybe, maybe it's by a word of peace and grace from a neighbor, maybe it is something awful, terrible, the providence of God, something heartbreaking when someone reaches rock bottom that they find a way forward. In that moment of darkness, God touches the heart of him that lay asleep in darkness and the shadow of death, and there's this awakening. He still goes on to say that folks are in bondage by reason of sin, and generally of some outward sin by disposition or their nature, custom or outward circumstance or always of some inward sin, some evil temper or unholy affection. My sidebar, this is why we don't quote this at length. It's hard to follow. This man who has had an awakening might bite his chain of bondage, but cannot break it. He toils, repents and sins, repents and sins again, till at length the poor wretch is at wit's end. He can barely groan, Who shall deliver me from this death? The grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wesley reflects that it is the grace of God that is the deliverance that breaks the bonds of sin, death, and evil. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is the Spirit that continues to do the work of reforming us. For those who have had those converting experiences that turn us toward God. For us in this tradition, it's not a one and done. It's a lifelong movement towards being remade in the image of Christ. It's the spirit that that worketh continually so that they shed the love of God abroad in their hearts, purifying them from all sin and evil, from the lust of the eye and the pride of this world. It is by the Spirit that they're delivered from pride and anger. In consequence, they're delivered from evil works, evil deeds, from all unholiness and to never do harm to a child, to be zealous about all of God's good works. He asked the church, What's the ruling principle of your soul? Is it the fear of God or is it the love of God? Perhaps it's neither of them. Have you the spirit of adoption that leadeth you to cry out, Abba, Father, do you have that spirit in your heart? Are you bearing witness to God's spirit moving in your life through your words and your deeds? If we understand the movement and the fruit of the Spirit on this Trinity Altars Gate Sunday, and the idea that adoption in childhood and parenthood is a frame for us in a life of faith, I want to suggest to you that all of that leads us to an examination of what is an egregious set of actions that are breaking down the relationships we have come to see a part of God's own self. The relationships that a parent has with a child. I imagine that you've seen it. The, the news that for some time the detainment and treatment of unaccompanied minors coming into this country. So we're going to spend a moment of time. Our United Methodist social principles guide us can guide us. The General Church says, we urge church and society to recognize the gifts and the contributions and the struggles of those who are immigrants and to advocate for justice for all. We oppose immigration policies that separate family members from one another. We call on local churches to be in ministry with immigrant families. No child, no teen, no adult Who is created in the image of God, who by the virtue of adoption is brought in to God's own self, is illegal. I believe the term we were looking for is beloved. God's Spirit has a family that by the virtue of adoption spans the borders between the United States and Mexico and Honduras, Nicaragua, Nicaragua. Maybe this is part two of last week's sermon, that America's soul is withering. Maybe it's in the throes of death. Young men, young women, especially, have been sent abroad. They carry the scars of war and those whose lives were sacrificed in war. And we should ask for what good and to what end Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, these inalienable rights that we lift up, are a half truth. For some, but not for all. Blacks and migrants know this half truth well. We're writing a bad check to the world saying, Give me your tired, give me your poor, give me your huddled masses yearning to breathe free and less. You're from Mexico or Honduras or Palestine. Our young men and women have been sent into war zones in the name of peace, to make peace, to create it, only to return to find the highest values for which they labored, only shared with some of their neighbors. We're the land of mass incarceration and homeless veterans. Home of school shootings and underfed school children. Surely, lives that were sacrificed were done so that we could be far more than what we presently are. The land of the free and the home of the brave. These ideals, that by virtue of where we were born, the luck of the draw, doesn't quite square with two sets of criteria you can pick. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't square with the detainment, the separation of children crossing into this country, being detained in prison facilities, being lost track of, 1,500 at least, that our government does not know where these children are. This isn't just Trump. It was on Obama's watch, too. So let's be even-handed. This being done in our name by our government, children, minors, that have ended up trafficked or unaccounted for. That doesn't square with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the separation of children from their parents it doesn't square with anything in the good book from cover to cover it doesn't square with the Exodus story the Passover that calls us to remember once we were slaves in Egypt and this is why we treat immigrants and refugees as honored guests at our table there's nothing absolutely nothing Christian just or biblical about what we've seen transpire in recent weeks, especially around immigrants entering into this place, because they're fleeing terror in Central America. Our thumbprint is all over this. My working assumption is that as Christ followers, your guiding principle is love of God and love of neighbor. And that the witness of God's spirit that you yearn for, you work for, you're cultivating the practices so that your words and your deeds are a reflection of the image of God, the image of Christ, a full sanctification. And if that's so, if my assumption is right or partially right, call Senator Alexander and Corker on Tuesday morning because their offices are closed tomorrow and say that whether it's as an American citizen or a follower of Christ or both, this is unacceptable and you don't want it done in your name. The policy of separating children from their parents is a poor reflection of what our service personnel, active veterans and those whose lives have been sacrificed. It's a poor reflection of the values that they have given themselves to. And it's a disgrace to the church's ministry in this country and around the world. The body of Christ is far, far better. Bless you this day in the name of the Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.